Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. We are on episode number 37. With me, my co-captain, as always, Scott Larson. And Scott, it's been a wonderful, wonderful past week, hasn't it? Uh, it certainly has brought us new things to wake up our coronavirus uh, hangover. And Stern, uh, the the pinball fairies dropped us off some news. And so we actually have something to look forward to other than just watching our tokens uh, collect dust. Who do we have today, Josh? Well, let me let's let's hurry and introduce the friends of our show really quick. Uh, we want to talk about Brad Hunter. If you haven't checked out his Lit Frames, go to litframes.com. He's got some wonderful product there. I know Scott has one of his frames along with the Monster Bash Brian Allen Translite. And that looks fantastic. And then also friends of the show, Zach and Nicole Many with Flipping Out Pinball. If you're looking for a new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from Stern, that is the guy to get it. He will bar, borrow, beg, borrow, and steal. Beg, borrow, and steal. Yeah, that's the word. <laughs> He'll do that to get your business. He is happy to help you out. Uh, he helped me out. I've already got my pro on lockdown. Didn't he help you out, Scott? He did. I, I am ordered. Uh, I have to wait a little bit longer because I uh, I wanted to wait for the premium, but absolutely, he's uh, great to work with. Boom. So there it is. We're both RA customers are flipping out. We're happy with his service so far. Zach, if you're listening, don't screw it up. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. So... Well, I'm going to introduce our guest, if you don't mind, Scott. Go ahead. We have got, if you've already read the title, I've already probably put his name in it, but we have a master software designer. This man has so many hits under his belt, it is ridiculous. We've got Terminator 2, The Getaway, Star Trek The Next Generation, Game of Thrones. I mean, this man is amazing, and he's also brought us a brand new game that looks absolutely fantastic with us, Dwight Sullivan. How are you doing, Dwight? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm really glad to be here. So how has the how has the reception been so far? You've been got nothing but roses in your office and, and everyone just giving you praise? Um well my office is an unfinished basement, you know, down here in my secret laboratory, my secret lair. And um but um it, the, the reception's been great. I've you know, you're always nervous. Like going into the going into the to the release, you're like you're you know, chewing your fingernails and you're trying to make the best code you can and and you're wanting everything to go well. You don't want like the Death Star not to work, <laughs> you know. So, so, but this time it went really, really well, despite the fact that we had to do it through Zoom and we had to, you know, Jack had to be my hands and whatnot. It, it, went, it went off really well. And then, and then people seemed to really like what they saw. So, I'm happy so far. <laughs> just waiting for the, you know, I'm just, I'm still waiting for something bad to happen and it maybe never happen. But you know, just, just you have to for the worst and hope for the best exactly so dwight when you uh got brought into the project um how how long does it typically take to uh, orchestrate a rule set and and what do you do when you're approaching a rule set to say this is what i'm trying to do in this game okay that's a that's a hard question um so in, in this particular case um the nickelodeon people they came to work and they're like hey you guys should do a turtles game and um, I was skeptical, and then we saw their presentation, and then afterwards I went to John and I said, John, we should do that Turtles game. And John said, sure. And so we, we held up our hands, and George and the team said, sure, go for it. And from that moment, we started working on it. And this was when I was still working on, you know, when I was still working on Monsters of it. And um, so the first thing we do is we start, 
we start meeting once or twice a week or more than that, you know, whenever you have a cool idea or three in the morning when, you know, or during the shower or the drive to work or the commute, you know, you're thinking of ideas and then you, you know, share them with each other. This game was very collaborative. John or Elliot Eastman, the mechanical engineer, and myself, we, we were the core team at the very beginning. And, and we, um, you know, so every time we got a cool idea, we would bring each other into the room and we would draw things on the whiteboard and we said, what if we did this and what if we did that? And we had lots of ideas that we've thrown out. But um, and then also at that time, we started reviewing all of the early episodes. We got DVDs of the 1987 Turtles and we started watching them all. And that started giving us great ideas about, well, you know, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should have episodes like that or maybe we should have modes like this and so on. And, and one thing leads to another. And here we are. I, I got to say, I love that you guys actually re like review the material. I noticed a couple things people would say is like, why gummy bears on pizza? And if you ever watch those original episodes, you you don't even have to go past the first episode. They're putting like cereal. They're putting gummy bears. They're putting whipped cream on their yep. pizzas. And so I love that you put that into the game because that is true to the show. And people are like, what the heck is this? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we have so in, in the code, I have 17 different ingredients. But only twelve of which actually have rules. So because like from watching the from watching the turtles episodes, I I just wrote down all everything they they were putting on their pizza, you know, and and and, and we picked out twelve that we liked, and that's what we stuck rules to. That's pretty awesome. So you also have uh, all four turtles, and this is one of those games where you actually get to pick a turtle. Uh, and so if you're playing a four player game, you have all four turtles. Um, what are the different things that each turtle brings to the table? Right. That's a, that's a good question. And that sort of goes back to that first question is, um, um, right off the bat, and one of the things we are throwing on the whiteboard is like, well, it's obvious that we want to be able to pick a turtle because everybody has a, a, a favorite turtle. So that's going to be something fun and obvious to do right off the bat. And I did it something similar on star Wars and game of Thrones. And I love giving the players choices. So, so then as soon as you decide that you're going to have everyone pick a different turtle, well, then you're like, well, you need meaning behind that. You need, you need some sort of, you know, you need to make a difference. Like, like you need a reason why they would pick this turtle over that turtle. And what does it mean deeper in the game and so on? So you, and then that's a lens that you hold all future rules through. You're like, well, what if I'm playing Donatello and I'm in this mode and I want to do that? What does that mean? Um, so that's, you know, that's, it's, it's really fun like that. Um, some of the different things that, that, that you can do is one of them, um, they, they, they add more time to timers. They add more time to ball save. They add plus one multipliers. They give you plus one to your play field multiplier. Or sometimes they just straight out give you two or three X on a particular area of the play field or a particular area of the game. Like, um, you know, they might give you, you know, two X scoring or three X scoring on episodes and stuff like that. So... Uh, if I am first player and I pick uh, Raphael, does can anybody else pick Raphael, or do, are they forced to pick the other three? Um, in normal play, everybody could pick Raphael. In co-op play, everyone has to pick a different turtle. And I'm thinking about making that an adjustment so that, I mean, by default, it's going to be what I just said, but I might add an adjustment so that you could just make everyone be different turtles every single game. But the problem is I want people to walk up and go, okay, all of us are going to be Donatello. Let's see who can be the best Donatello. Or all of us is going to be Leo today. Let's see who can be the best Leo. So I want that possibility. 
So I noticed you talked about on the stream that there are six available episodes when you start, and then you can unlock two more. Uh, is that because of progression of the story through the pinball machine, or is it just it makes more sense that way? What what made you determine to do that? Well, I, right. So I every once in a while they sort of had, you know, like like the well the show itself. The show itself has some storylines that that build on previous storylines and i wanted to capture that in some fashion and um so in the game we have one episode where baxter is sort of forced to make these mausers to go after you know to go after the turtles and you know and attack them and then and then but then at the end of the episode um you know shredder says well i'm done with you and he turns him into a fly but then so then later on you you know it's baxter fly that you face as a villain and and you can't face Baxter Fly first if he, you know he hasn't been turned into a fly yet. So, so there's some kind. Of, so that's that's one of our two partners. It's it's you know. And then the other one is, um, Crane. Crane wants a body, and so there's an episode where he wants a body, and he and at the end of the episode he gets a body, and and then so then late so that unlocks an episode down the road where he has a body and he's attacking you with his big giant with you know with his full body. And, it, and of course, you can't do that in the reverse order, right? That you know, I just didn't think that made sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That's awesome that you guys are thinking out of the box in that that way in that regard too. It kind of reminded me when you talked about when you talked about this kind of thing, Deadpool, where you had to kind of do some up, things up front to unlock the T Rex and the shark. But it's cool that you've molded it into the episodes, and that um, it follows the storyline, and so it kind of gives more depth to the game as well. Right, right. We heavily pulled our stories from the early '87 episodes, um, but they're not one for one. We had to, we had to, you know, take the, the square peg and put it to the round hole of pinball, and you know, and and that, you know, like mostly, mostly pinball is about shots and goals and you know and speech calls. So we had to, you know, we had to distill a lot of those stories down to simple little thoughts and, and you know, and that was, it, but it was pretty fun to do that. Is there a secret mode where you get to play Shredder? No, there's no secret mode where you get to play Shredder. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that's going to be a flipper code, exactly. right? That's a flipper code. <laughs> right. I want to play right. Shredder. <laughs> so the you, 1987... You like play as Shredder. Yes, play as Shredder. Yes, so yes. I'm fighting the turtles. Right. <laughs> so I know that the... Um, was the 1989 Konami arcade game influencing at all onto the pinball machine? Because I know that has a lot of following to the original arcade stuff. No, I don't actually even know much about that one. So we we pretty much stuck to, all of my research was the 1987 DVDs and, and, those, and, and, and in particular, like the first five episodes. Most of our stuff comes from the first five episodes in the 1987 you know, series. So tell me about uh, the the different variations on the pro versus the premium, because there are certainly different things that are going to affect. Uh, one thing that led me to buy the premium is I really liked that the disc spun both ways. And so how do you incorporate that into code? Um, my problem is I have an X-Men, and one of the challenges I have is that spinner, I swear, it just it launches that sucker just right to the left out lane every time. And I, I like the variation on the disc. And so when you're, I guess when you're coding for a pro versus a premium, exactly what type of, I don't want to say compromises, but what sort of decisions allow you to go 
okay, this would be a great thing to fit into all of it. And oh, I, we need, we should do this one down in the premium or the LE. So we, so, so we'll talk about the disc. The disc does, is a lot of fun. So a lot of people kind of scoffed at the fact that the LE spins in two directions. And I think it's, it's actually pretty nice because it, you know, on the LE, well, on both games, when, you know, the disc spins, when the ball kind of hits the targets nearby, because that's when the ball, I know the ball is nearby and it's going kind of slow. And so the disc might affect it. And so, but what happens on the LE and premium is the disc will spin like for half a second in one direction, then pause for a brief moment and then spin the other direction for half a second and then pause for a brief moment. And then it'll do, it'll repeat that again one more time. Um, and, but on the on the pro, it just spins for two seconds straight. You know, all it can do, um, and it's very very different. Like the ball, the ball will actually hit a target, roll backwards onto the disc, start going around the disc in one way, then come back the other way, and then go out the drain. And and that you know that of course is funny, but that sucks. But you know, hopefully you know you you had a good ball before that. But um, the other part of your question was what a, you know speak to some of the differences right uh, for the pro and the le. Yes. Yeah. Scott. Yeah. So um, we we generally well this game particularly we started with all everything we wanted to put in the game, and and that you know and that was going to be the LE, and so we wanted a glider, we wanted a spinning disc, and we wanted a van that held the you know that held you know three balls and eight balls total in the game, and we you know and then we we had another toy on the ramp for a while on the left ramp, but that um, we couldn't make that quite work, so that that money then became the crane toy. Which I think is very very cool, and I'm glad that we have the crank toy. Um, and then we start thinking about well, what would we remove, you know, to get into the budget of a pro, and um, and then we go okay, well the crank toy can't be there, and the, and the and the van isn't going to hold three balls. And in fact, that's a nice distinction between the premium and LE. I mean, the premium and the pro is is you know the eight ball versus the six ball, and um, so then you know. Then we pull off, you know, we pull off that. And we go, okay, well then, what are we left with? And we were left with either the glider, or and and the spinning disc, and uh, and then that was that was really difficult because the glider's pretty fun. The glider, you know, you're like, well, I want the ball to come here, or I want the ball to go there, and then the glider has its own feature, and uh, and so if we lost that, then the pro wouldn't get that. And but then the spinning disc is pretty fun to watch because the balls come out and soft softwareically. I flip that upper left flipper. Software, soft, softwareically, that's a word we invented. Um, um, so softwareically, I flip that, I flip that upper left flipper. The balls bounce off the upper left flipper over to the over to the spinning disc and get caught on the magnet, and then I and then I spin them off. And um, and that's pretty fun to watch. And when people, when new people would come into my office and see that, they, their eyes would bug out. They would be like, "Oh, that's pretty cool." So, it you know, after thinking about it, we had. To, it became clear that if we were going to lose the glider or the spinning disc on the pro, um, it had to be the glider because the glider is more highbrow. It's more people, people that really understand, Oh, I want to shoot the left shot coming up soon. So I'm going to put the glider so that it comes back to my right flipper. You know, it's people thinking ahead on your home, your home buyers, your basement games and so on. And the pro, which is going to, you know, which, you know, also does go to the basements, but you know, sometimes the pro goes out in the field more, and it's more for casual players um, than the spinning disc is going to blow them away. So that's how that decision process all came about. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I, I would actually agree. I, I think that the spinning disc is the the more wow factor 
Uh, I've always said that one of the best multi-ball starts in uh, pinball has been the Twister or the X-Men and now Turtles with the balls being trapped on the magnet and then flung around. I think it just it's one of the coolest features I've ever seen. It, right. And it doesn't get old. Like You see it and I still like it because in our game, the way the geometry is set up, um, we just sort of accidentally lucked into the fact that um, the balls sort of spin off, but I keep that magnet going and then the balls sort of bounce around and then come back and then one or two balls will catch on the magnet again. And, and that's, that's very, very entertaining. So I noticed when you guys did the pro and in the premium, whatnot, this game seems to be kind of, kind of a fast game. And, and, uh, if you're not paying attention, it can really take you to town. Yep. Uh, was that a decision that you made or was that something John Borg made, or was it something you guys kind of came together and said, Hey, we need something fun, but kind of fast. So early on, you know, the kind of, we start talking about high level concepts, like, well, like all three of us decided that we wanted a third flipper. We wanted, you know, and then John goes, well, let's put it on the top left because I've done top right recently and I just want to change it up a bit. So so John starts working out things and then we start going, we start, all three of us will meet and look at drawings and thinking about things. And quickly it became clear that, yeah, this is going to be a flowing game. It's going to be a fast game. It's going to be a combos game. And so that's, that's when I, so then I go and I start writing down, figuring out on the whiteboard, you know, rules for combos and 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 but we all liked it so so to answer your question you know john said he wanted to do it as long as you know it's gonna be fast and smooth and and we're like yeah we're on board we're good nothing wrong with a fast and smooth game so about how many uh, how do you play test this code uh, at the stern uh, building like do you start a code you actually have people come in and play it and give you ideas and uh I, I, lead me through that process sure um, so at some point, you know, John decides, John and Elliot and I, you know, decide that, that, you know, we like what we have and we want to build it up and start flipping it. And they make, we, we make what we call a white wood and the white wood, sometimes it doesn't have the right lamps or it doesn't have any lamps. It just has kinetics and flippers and some, maybe one or two toys. And we build that up and we start flipping it. And then, so then it's, as soon as we can, that whitewood shows up in my in my office next to my desk, and I start writing code for it. And we start, you know, testing out different things and turning on lights and seeing how what's fun and what's not fun. Um, and then, you know, I and then eventually we go to whitewood two and whitewood three and so on. And 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 then later we we have you know colored playfields, full blown you know playfields with real real artwork. And, um, and that's like that's what I have next to my desk now. I have next to my desk right now a a, a pro, it's a prototype, but it was built by the factory because um, we 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 build them up. We you know the engineering team builds up white woods, and then um, at some point the factory builds the last set of prototypes bef before they're going to go in production. And then, but all the all the while, I'm still you know working on code. Months and months going by, I'm working on code and downloading it. And it's not just me; <laughs> I'm just the face of a team of software guys. Right. It's um, we have right now we have like four talented guys on this project and um, it's all of us working really hard, you know, for long hours, for months. So I've got to ask because I've got just a, a tiny bit of coding background. I've done a little bit here and there. How is it tedious to do pinball coding? Because I know that like there's stuff like you do the code and then it's not working and you find out you should have put a comma here instead of a period or you should have put a little D instead of a capital D. Is it kind of tedious like that? Or is your program pretty easy to work with? 
well, C++ is stickler for, deep, you know, for everything being correct. But right off the bat, you know, those type of problems won't even compile. So you won't, it's not like they'll, it's not like you're playing the game for an hour and then you go, I missed a comma or I missed a semicolon. The game won't even compile, you won't build, you won't be able to, you know, so right off the bat, and then the, it'll show you where the problem was and you, you just fix it. So I guess that's tedious, but that's just comes with the job. That's just part of programming. So in your philosophy of building the code, how, what is uh, your philosophy on rule balances? Because obviously a lot of these games, they want to, the last ability of a game really depends on their ability to be viable in tournament settings. Uh, you'll see people who, they, they buy a game because they want to get better at it. And they also want to make sure that there's multiple ways of approaching a game in a tournament setting versus one single way. And so how do you approach making sure that it is tournament ready? That's a great question. Um, um, usually, I used to get a game to like 90%, you know, or 80% done, you know, or at least planned out and, and mostly working or partially working. And um, I would invite Josh Sharp to my office and he and I would bounce around the ideas and the rules and let him play it for a while. Um, I couldn't do that on this game for a couple of reasons. Um, but, but fortunately, we have like, you know, we have Tim Sexton and, and, and Keith Elwin, and now we have Raymond Davidson to help bounce around those kind of ideas. Because I'm not a tournament player, so I, I always try to lean on whoever I can to help me with, well, is this stupid, or is this should this be less random, or, you know, and so on. And where's, you know, how's the scoring feel here? Does anything feel exploitable? And um, and that's that's how I usually do it, is I, I, I you know, I... I try to compensate for something I'm not great at with people around me that are, are better. That's, you know, how I, work, I do the tournament scoring. Your, the bigger question is, is, you know, you have lots of different people playing your game. How do you, how do you make a game for everybody? And, and that's, that's hard to do. So we make a game for tournament players and home players and casual players. And, and I'm not a, like, I'm not a tournament player and I'm not a, I'm not a great player. I'm sort of a middle of the road kind of, I can beat anybody that has, you know, that has, that's not good at pinball. <laughs> so, so I want everyone to have fun. And that's why I like making rule sets like Turtles and Game of Thrones and Star Wars, where, um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe uh, Martell isn't the best choice for the beginner or the medium player, right? Like the higher end player, he's going to want Martell because he's, he knows about multipliers and, and manipulate that. But, but I would, you know, I would go for Baratheon, right, on Game of Thrones. And, and on Turtles, I pick Raph because Raph has got some easy things going on. But like Gary Stern has a pro at his house, and Gary always picks Gary always picks Donatello because Donatello puts you one shot from multiball. And that multiball doesn't score, you know, to keep it kind of balanced. That multiball doesn't score as well as some of the other stuff you could do. But you know, but Gary doesn't care about that. He's going to play multiball. So I know that Nickelodeon. Um was kind of what's the word I'm looking for? Cause because some of the complaints I've heard, the only complaint I've honestly heard is is some of the the voice stuff. But I know that like the theme song, Nintendo required that exact theme song in there. And and it's the exact same theme song they just did with the one eight one up arcade cabinet and whatnot. How much say did Nintendo or Nintendo Nickelodeon have when it came to the other characters? And um was there a reason the original actors weren't brought in. I know that they're in their seventies now and, and your voices tend to change after that, but I didn't know what, what their, how you guys went the direction that you did. 
So great question. So the so yes, so that we had we we wanted the original theme from from you know the nineteen eighty seven show. And in fact, you know, for a while just playing the game before, you know, we had that theme in the game and and I thought that's what we were gonna do. We were gonna license that theme. Um, and we would have, but Nickelodeon insisted that we have the other the tune that's in there now. And so we switched and it's not the same tune. And for a day or two, it's like, well, this isn't the same tune. What the hell? And, but then, you know, sorry about us swearing. You're fine. <laughs> um, we allow hell on here. <laughs> okay. All right. So I'm like, well, it, you know, but then after playing it a little bit, I, I really like the new tune. I like, you know, it's, it's not even that new anymore. We've had it in the game for months, but it, you know, it, it, it grows on you and it, and it fits and it's fun. Um, but other than that, Nickelodeon has been a dream to work with. They've, you know, they've wanted to say in every single thing we did, like we, for, you know, like, like, you know, every, every art we did or in the display or every piece of sound or music or, or speech that we did, they wanted to hear it and they had notes, but they were really, I mean, compared to other, compared to other licensors, um, they were really easy to work with. Like they would say, we want more, you know, we want, we think Raphael should be more like this or more like that. And, and we would then, you know, get new auditions and Jerry and I would go through new auditions and then pick like three more and send them to Nickelodeon and Nickelodeon would say, yeah, like that, that sounds all right. Let's do that. And, and it, that, that went, that worked pretty well. Um, um, in general. So you you asked about, about actors. We, um, so we have 17 characters in this game and there was no way that we could, we could afford we, you know, like we would have had to take the glider out of the game to afford, you know, to afford, you know, the, the original cast of oh, yeah. for all 17 characters. So we we had to we had to figure out other ways to get that done. But it was still really important for us and Nickelodeon for it to sound great. Like so like Shredder was very difficult and Raphael was very difficult. Um, Crane, they passed without a single note. Like and Crane was Craig was done by our, our Tom Tom Kizavet. It was our Craig, and he's you know the Kizavet brothers, brothers Kizavet, I like to call them. Um, they were Shredder and Craig, and and a couple of the other voices, and um, they did a great job. And um, Shredder, we had to do twice. You know, uh, Nickelodeon or first didn't like the first pass, and so we went back and did it again. And then they they loved the the first pass, but they had no notes. It's out of 17 characters, they there was only one character they had no notes for, and that was Craig. Uh, and that was really good. Well, and, and Mark Silk did a fantastic job, and he did like four or five of the characters. In. Yeah, big shout out to Mark Silk. Mark Silk. So Mark Silk, you know, I met him at Expo, you know, last Expo, um, and before that, we were talking on you know email and stuff. And I've known that he wanted to do a game, and I'm and I'm like, well, let's try to get him in a game. And um, and I knew we were going to have lots of characters at some point, and I'm like, well, hopefully he can do two or three of these. You know, we'll see. And it turns out he did. He did. He did Splinter, you know, like like one of our main narrators, and he did a couple of the other voices, at least three or four voices. And he did a great job from he from did. what I've yeah. heard. Yeah, he did great. So lead us through the different uh, modes of the game. Like, uh, tell me, you don't have to go through the surprise ones, but say I'm walking up to the game, and you're like, okay, now you can take this path, you can take this path, and these are the first three or four modes that you you want to consider uh, starting, and that will lead to this. So it's not quite like Star Wars, where there are clear paths, you know, through the modes. 
all four turtles, you know, have all all eight modes. Um, um, where the turtles differ is is in how they and how they enhance the game and how they enhance scoring and what pinball things they do, like they give you a bonus multiplier and stuff. Um, um, and they help you with ball save and what they start at the beginning. So, like for example, like Leo, Leo likes training. The way you normally like training is you hit the lair, you hit the lair bank. And, and then the first time you hit it, it lights training, and then the second time you hit it, it lights playful multiplier. So since Leo lights training, it's lit when you push start. And if, so if you want to get your multiplier going right off the bat, you can spell layer, and it'll give you a multiplier right off the bat since training is already lit. So there's there's stuff like that. Um, Michelangelo is similar. Michelangelo, so the, the April Bank, the first thing it does is lights battle again. But Michelangelo lights battle again. So if you pick Michelangelo and you have battle again lit because you picked him, or you know at the beginning of your ball, your first ball, um, then April will start one of her hurry ups first instead. So that's those are those are there's subtle little paths like that, nuances like that 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 are kind of interesting once you get to know the game. You know, one of the things that I've only heard on the Stern Insider podcast, but I I'm surprised you guys really haven't been pushing anywhere else, is that you guys took into account. April O'Neil and making sure she wasn't tied up or anything like that, because you, even though it's a 1987 show and there were, there are some goofy tropes from that show, right. you know, you, you made sure that it was still um, time appropriate. And I, th- I think that's very impressive. What it was that just something that got thrown out one day or is it just something that was kind of leading the charge as you went into the project? No, that was so that, so early on before we have a whitewood, we, you know, we started, the team is now four or five of us. There's um, the Brothers Kizabat are way, into, are, are way into Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And um, so the Brothers Kizabat, Tom, Tom, or John, Elliot, and I are all in a room. We're brainstorming, you know, what, what, what are the different tropes that we're going to have in this game? Like, what are the different, you know, like, like clearly at some point somebody needs to be rescued. And at another point, you know, Shredder's going to try and use his mutagen dray and we're going to bring the Mausers in and, what are the different themes that are going to be in this game? And um, April and how April was going, what April was going to do changed several times. Like, 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 you know, we started with, well, what she does in 1987 is not really what we want to do. We don't want her all helpless and tied up and, and kind of ditzy. We wanted her, um, you know, she's just, so we, we leaned into the fact that she's a news reporter. And in fact, in the very first few episodes, she's very heavy. Like, I want to get the story. I want to get the story. So we made her all about trying to get the story. So her April hurry up, April hurry up is, is, can be stacked with anything else going on in the game. So if you have an episode or a multi-ball or both going on, she's worth more depending on what else you have going on because there's more for her to report on. And, and that I thought was pretty unique and pretty fun. So one thing I noticed in the layout, and some people have brought this up, and I want to get your take on it. Um, so the the side targets, uh, as opposed to like four or three different individual side targets, uh, they're big single side targets. Uh, how does that affect uh, the way you approach the coding? Because that does make it a little different uh, when you're when you don't have to hit three different ones versus you can hit the same one a few times. So you, you guys are being nice. Um, so there's a lot of people that don't like those really wide targets, but John and I are not among them. Like, so early, early on, um, on monsters and on turtles, 
John's like, hey, what do you think about, you know, like big wide targets right here? And I, because he likes them and so do I. I like, I like having moments in the game when, when that, when that bank is blinking for something you need to do. And all you have to do is hit some, anything in the bank. And, and, and I know that we could do that with standups, but there are several advantages to having the big wide long target. And one of them is it's psychologically easier to hit, even though it's not. It just seems like it's easier to hit than, than any one of these three stand-ups or four stand-ups. The other cool thing about it is you can put artwork all the way across it. And and sometimes, like, like if you want to do April, April is five letters, but there's no way we could easily fit five stand-ups in that space. So you kind of, you know, you have to go to this, this you know, this, this plan anyway. You have to do one big long target, which is fine with me. So then the other half of your question was, well, how do you program for that? And I, I would program them. Very similarly, even if I had individual targets, I don't like, I mean, I guess, I guess I have, you know, I've done it in the past where, you know, you hit a target and you get that light and you hit a target and you get that light and you've got to spell out whatever word is there. And, um, but I, I kind of like spelling out words in order, like, because like you quickly can glance over and go, oh, I've got three of the five and, and I, you know, and I'm working my way down. I, I guess it's, maybe it's an OCD thing, um, but, but I prefer that over you know, over spelling things out in the wrong order. <laughs> and, and, and I mean, I know there's no such thing as wrong in this case, but it's just in my head there is. And, and so, and, and it's never really bothered me. Like, like I know, like I used to play pinball all growing up and I know there's spell outs on, on thousands of machines, you know, with, with standups that are like what people are, are you know, have, like, you know, like that, but it's, it's just, it is, it doesn't bother me that that's missing. Well, and honestly, if this game's a little faster and a little more, uh, I don't want to say brutal, but it's it's a little harder to play, um, the side-to-side action, a lot of people aren't going to go for. So if you make that target a little bit easier for them, too, right. uh, they might actually go for it versus just getting rid you know. Unless if it's really, really important, they're like, you know, it's not worth my time. A lot of people would ignore those just because they are da- any sort of cross-action in a game, you're you're at danger. And so you really want to get more of a vertical as opposed to a horizontal action on the ball. Right. And so, but people didn't like it on Munsters. So I took that into consideration when I was planning out the rules for um, Turtles. So I did a few things. I did a couple of things that I think mitigate the complaints. And and one of them is, is I made it so that, so that if you, you know, so that the letters time out. So like if you spell, you know, APR and you, you're on your way to spelling April, right? And if you if you don't keep tickling that target for, you know, every every few seconds, it'll time out on you and then you, you'll you reset back to the beginning. You're also reset back to the beginning at the beginning of each ball. And so, and you only, you, you get two, you get to do it twice. Like, so you spell April and she lights battle again, and then you spell April again and she'll start a hurry up. And then she goes into a, a mode where um, the light's moving back and forth, and you can't spell April for a while until you play an episode or until you start another episode. So you have to you, you have to pace them out and plan them better, and you can't just sit there and get them for all day long. You you know, and you have to stack them correctly with you know whatever you're wanting to do. I I, I like the single bank target. I'm I mean I don't know. It brings a different variance to the game than. And the same old, same old. So I, I like that you're taking all these into consideration. It's just it's not just feedback from a person or two. You know, it's it's from multiple past games and stuff like that. It's awesome that you do so much back research 
to make each game better and better from there. So, thanks. Now, you, your last two games, you actually had these big, uh, these big modifications that came out later after the game uh, came up. I mean, famously, uh, Ghostbusters came up, but we know that wasn't your issue because it was a scheduling issue. Uh, but you changed a lot with Ghostbusters and really uh, nuanced that rule set. You also did the same thing with Game of Thrones. And so how how does that come about? How is the philosophy of, you know what, this, we need to modify these rule sets and uh, you saying, hey, this is what I would like to change it to. How does that work? Good question. Um, so those, what happens is, is I, I get it in my head that I want to, because you're never, you're never done designing a game. You know, just at some point, they take the game away from you and they start putting it in the box. And... And then at some point you move on and you do and you start working on another game. Um, but you always have more ideas and more things you want to do, always. And so, so at some point you're you're like, well, it'd be really cool if I could do this or do that. And but you you you, you know like like right now I'm working on Turtles, but I'm also working on the game after Turtles, the game that I'm going to come out with, you know, sometime down the road. Um, so right now I don't have any time, but if I if I do get time, I would love to go back. I, I'm always wanting to go back and work on something else, work on and, and enhance some other game. And, and luckily I got that chance last summer to work on Ghostbusters and Game of Thrones. They let me. They they actually gave me Tanya for a while, so I got to do both at the same time. I was working on Game of Thrones, and and just, you know and and Tanya was working on Ghostbusters, but I was sort of designing both. Um, if that comes up again, I'll work on past games any chance I get. It's just a matter of timing. There's always priorities, and as long as I'm getting my job done and getting my current game done, and I and I have some time before my next game needs me to actually start typing stuff, um, my bosses don't want, don't care what I do. So speaking of coding and with the coronavirus and everything happening, did that help further the code along for Teenage Mutant Turtles? Like, how close are we to 1.0? We're pretty close to 1.0. It it helped. It helped with, so it didn't give me any more time, right? It, like the amount of work that I had to do five months ago didn't change. And we've been we've been working, you know, long hours for the last couple of months, me and the other programmers and the artists and, and Jerry have been working long hours for like a couple of months to try to get the game done. Um, so it didn't change the amount of work I had to do or when I was gonna be done. What changed was what the code looked like when it first goes in a box. and um, the stream the other day, I think people figured out that it was like 0.92, and we're pretty close. So, in that stream, we had about we had three wizard modes that were kind of rough and not really finished. And when those get finished and some more polish and score balancing happens and some more lap effects, um, I'm going to call it 1.0. Well, and the other question with that too is now that um, software's kind of, I'm trying to think how to put this. Is, do you think this will be a, like a one-time thing? Because I know a lot of time when, when the games come out, the code's kind of like 0. 0.56 or 0. 0.6, whatever you want to say. Um, do you think that will help the rest of the software be a little more closer to 1.0 on on, uh, on future releases? Yeah, so it's, it's our objective to be at 1.0 when the game first goes in a box most of the time. And, we're, and we've been trying really hard to get there. Now, we, we got a setback here and there, like, like Stranger Things, you know, didn't quite work out the way we wanted it to. But um, 
if you go back, I think you see that Munsters was pretty close to done, and most of my games have been pretty close to complete when when they first go in a box. Um, and we, while we still are want to do updates after that and add things to the games after that, complete and 1.0 is what we're calling the same thing. So um, it's important to us going forward to try to, to try to have every game be at 1.0 or very close to 1.0 when it first goes in a box. And to for example, like we just hired. Raymond Davison to help us with that task, to help us, you know, to add the software, another software person to our team to get things done on time. Tell me a little more about the co-op mode. Um, it seems like that's, that's a natural with uh, having the turtles. You'll have, you have four players typically in a game. And if you're all competing for the same thing, tell me how that interacts with each other. I will. I will. Um, you said it's a natural. So like, so co-op has become a thing since like Scott Denisi kind of brought it back. Like co-op isn't a new thing, but Scott, you know, kind of brought it back with TNA, and um, I played TNA, and then and that was pretty cool. And I'm like, you know what? We need to do that. And then every about the same time, I started hearing from lots of other conversations, people saying co-op should come back. And I'm like, well, I'm gonna try and bring it back. And then and then I started thinking about turtles, and I'm like, you know what? Turtles, you're right. Turtles is pretty natural, you know. You know, it dovetail really well with with co-op because there's four players, four player co-op, four turtles. You know, it, it it's it it works out really well. Um, what was the other half of your question? Uh, well, well, that was it. It was just it seems like uh, it's getting back to those uh, those button masher days where everybody, uh, you know, they had like four or five different of those games where everybody had to play, you know, the Simpsons. Everybody played a different thing, but they're all going toward the same goal. That seems to be a natural fit for the hearkening back to the old arcade games, too. And I know you said you didn't really look too much into it, but this felt very similar to it. I actually have the arcade games in my basement, so I really like that approach. One other question I have too is um, uh, Keith put like a a kind of a a fast mode, a escape from Nublar mode or something like that. Would you consider doing something like that in any of your games? Um, I would absolutely consider it. So like, like I, I love that Keith works for us. I think Keith is amazing. He's a fresh, he's a breath of fresh air and rules. And, and I try to steal things from him every day. (laughs) <laughs> um, um, I love the new bar thing, but I, I think that he sort of, well, I mean, while his is unique and different and cool in its own way, but um, Are You a God kind of started that whole thread. So I'm, I'm going to take some credit for for having modes that, you know, having a way to play an in, you know, a deeper mode, you know, at the beginning of the game. Um, and, and yes, so Turtles, right now when you, when you walk up to Turtles between games, um, you can hold in both flipper buttons and that'll bring a menu up on the screen. And the menu will, will give you several different ways to play the game. It'll give you um, standard or co-op or competitive or co-op plus competitive. And a little side note there, um, I'm really hoping that someday people will play 4v4 tournaments where you know you and your three friends try the best you can and compare your scores versus you know four other guys who played co-op turtles. Um, but the other gameplay modes that you can do in Turtles right now is team play. You can do 2v2 team play, 2v1, and 3v1 team play. And then I'm hoping that maybe somewhere down the road after 1.0, I'll get a chance to to add a Nublar or, or a Are You a God type mode to, to Turtles as well. That is awesome. That, I, I, that I, would, 
that would come up in that menu. That, that would be one more game mode that you could choose from the menu. That would be amazing. Um, I know Gomez said that internet con- connectivity probably won't be a possibility with this game. Is that, can you give us like any hope at all that it might, or is it, it's pretty much, it's probably not going to be on Ninja Turtles. It, it will not be on Ninja Turtles. Um, I can't speak to that very much. Um, okay. Connectivity it, connectivity is a big thing that we've been working on and planning toward for quite a while. And um, and it did get put on hold because of COVID. COVID, you know, put a pin in that for now. And, and right now we're just trying to get the factory back and going. We're just trying to get it up and running. Um, and as soon as we get connectivity going, um, um, pretty cool things are going to happen. So we can't ask you if it's going to re- retrofit to older games or if it's just going to be pretty much from when you guys We're going to unveil- try our best to make it as cool as possible. Okay. Good enough. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're fine. So, so. so I have a, a comment and a question. Uh, this is actually from Sarah Line, Mrs. Pin. Uh, she said, uh, tell Dwight hi, and she wants to know who your favorite turtle is. Okay. Hi, Sarah. Um, Mrs. Pin. Um, I'm a big fan of her. Um, so my favorite turtle in the game is Raphael because Raphael, you know, and he's kind of a bruiser and I, I kind of like Raphael in general, I think, even though I, I identify with Donatello because Donatello is a nerd and like makes gadgets and he's, you know, nerdy like me and like we're probably all programmers. But um, but outwardly, I, I, I think I'm more like Raphael. It's probably not true, but, but anyway, in the game, I like Raphael because Raphael lights episodes and episodes you know they if, if you're not Raphael, you have to you have to work to light each episode and um and so like i like pushing start and right off the bat i can i can i can shoot into the pizza parlor lock a ball and start an episode and i'm halfway to getting an extra ball and that's that's why i picked Raphael. but um but i think turtle i think Raphael is my favorite turtle even from the show um i know that you guys kind of talked about this on the stream but are you going to put more Casey Jones in or is it going to be pretty much just what it is because he wasn't really much in the first three seasons? So it's the, it's the letter. Um, so Casey Jones is a good example of, of stuff that was on the whiteboard. So early on, you know, we're like writing down on the whiteboard, everything that's cool about the turtles. And of course, Casey Jones takes up a corner of the, of the whiteboard. And, and, but then when we started doing more and more research, we're like, well, he doesn't really play a role in all, all these stories. I mean, we can't leave him out, you know, so we have to, you know, cause he was going to get his own target bank and like maybe instead of Lair, it was going to be, you know, Casey Jones or Casey or whatever spelling over there. And it would be like, you know, he, he would be a guy that would come along and help you out. And, and that all kind of got cut to the cutting room floor when we, along with lots of other things, lots of other cool ideas when we, um, you know, when we had to pare the game down and decide exactly what are we putting in the game, and it needed, we really wanted to stay faithful to those early episodes, those first couple seasons. So, so Casey, so then we invented this, we invented one of the wizard modes. The, in fact, the first of three wizard modes is called Team Up, and we're like, well, okay, so each, you know, instead of instead of having, you know, instead of having April tied to a chair and you have to go rescue April, we're gonna have Shredder kidnaps, you know, three of the turtles. The three turtles that you are not, and and you have to go rescue them. And you know what are you going to do? You're going to call up one of your friends. You're going to call somebody to help you, and they're going to come and help you. And and you know in this in this wizard mode, 
And so each of the four turtles has a different team up that they team up with. And Raphael teams up with Casey Jones. That's awesome. And I love the team up mode too. I think that's very brilliant having, you know, Raphael team up with Casey Jones and Leonardo with Splinter and Donatello with Metalhead. And then Mikey with the neutrino. I, I know a lot of people will look at that and go, who the heck is this guy? But he's he's like the fourth episode in and he's very prominent to most of the stories throughout all the history of Ninja Turtles. Yeah, well the the neutrinos are badass. They they drive a they drive a really cool car that flies and shoots lasers out of the front. So like how do you not put that in a game? I agree. <laughs> By the way, Sarah said that uh, you can continue to be friends with her because that was a test, and hers favorite is Raphael too. Oh wow! Wait, you you're talking to her right now. I texted her. She uh, well, okay. So uh, through uh, um, Sticker Mule or whatever, uh, who did I order stuff from? Uh, it's it's the swag store. So okay, yeah. So, so, so uh, well, it's actually it's a uh, merchandise that you can order for your own stuff. So it's a sticker mule. So we got I got a whole bunch of stickers right before the coronavirus. So I have like 500 stickers that I can I can give out at shows and just hand to people or mail to them or whatever. And so there was actually a um, they have little promos, and one of the promos that came up this week was little uh, earring things. And so I said that. Uh, she could order the earrings and she's like, absolutely just mail, uh, email me or, uh, mail the loser kid logo to me and she will make them for me. And so we've just been talking today about, uh, making swag for, for everybody, including everybody who wears earrings. I, well, you know, no, not for me, but you know, I think it's a cool idea. You know, you, you know, you can pierce anything. It's fine. Just, just put it anywhere. <laughs> That's some TMI right there. Buddy. Oh, I, <laughs> <laughs> That's... <laughs> <laughs> hey, I didn't say I had one. I'm just saying it's possible. So okay, all right, all right. I'm gonna be careful. You know, yeah. What I mean. If you ever see Scott and Pearson, you got a person. You got to ask him all the Pearsons. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, zeros <laughs> is right. the answer. So, <laughs> so okay. I actually want to talk a little more about your history in pinball, but Josh, this is your baby, so I want to make sure you get all of your questions, uh, your teenage mutant ninja turtle love in before we uh, switch gears a little bit. I, I have a I have a the coolest rule ever thing I want to talk about too. Okay, go ahead. Go for it. All right. So the coolest rule ever. Um, and of course you guys so I mean I, I probably talked about this on the insiders and like like you know, and I'm telling this to everybody that will listen. But but I think one of the one of the innovative things that I made on because like Scott Denisi made really cool co op mode and I had to I had to figure out well how do I how do I improve on that? And I don't know if I, I I don't know if I did or not. I just think I did in my own head. And and so here's what I did was in addition to in addition to sharing your progress because of course co-op shares your progress and it's very nice. Like when you you know like if you play if you you go first and you play an episode and then and then on my turn I've already had that episode played. I don't have to play it. I can you know I only need you know I need one less to get to the next wizard mode. And so that's, of course, you know, sharing your progress. That's like, you know, like what he did with the with the, the, the reactors. Um, but I wanted to do one more thing. I wanted to figure out something I could do that was different. And what I did was this. So what I wanted to do was like when when you when you're playing your ball, you can light something or enable something on somebody else's ball. You know, so like like on, on somebody, you know, like you could help out your teammate with something cool you did. And I kept it. I ended up keeping it kind of simple. I had lots of really complex ideas, and 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 if I try to explain all this to you right now, you're still going to think this is pretty complex. But it's not if you are sitting in front of a game. 
Um, so what happens is when you make your skill shot, you light weapon for yourself. In co-op, you light weapon for yourself, but you also enable lighting a, lighting a weapon for everybody else that follows you that ball. So so you you player one gets up, makes a skill shot, lights weapon, and then you know you, you know plays weapon or not doesn't matter. But if he if he plays weapon, he'll get two cascading hurry ups, and then he's done. Player two comes up, and if he makes a skill shot. He'll light weapon for himself, but since player one made his skill shot, he'll get he'll get four hurry ups in a row. You know he'll get his two plus player one's two. All right, are you guys following me? Yeah, yeah. All right, so keep so so that keeps following. So player three could get six, and player four could get eight if all the moons align and all and and and, and the four players create a perfect storm. So that makes players not only before the game starts are they discussing. All right, you're going to be Raphael, and I'm going to be Leo, and you're going to be Donatello because you know because we're each better at these different shots and so forth. But you're also going to discuss well who should go first, second, third, and fourth because whoever bats fourth is going to you know might get put in the position to try to get eight straight hurry ups. Man, coolest rule ever. Yeah, that, that seems like a, a it's almost like a relay race that you have to pick the strongest guy to be your anchor. Right, right, right. <laughs> So that's when you get Keith Owen to play in the practice room, and you're like, Keith, we need you to be fourth right now. <laughs> well, right, Ray, right. Raymond's currently number one, so maybe you want Raymond. <laughs> I'll take either one on my yeah. team. I don't care. Yeah, you can, you can, you can pretty, pretty fierce foursome out of the employees from Stern now. Right, right. Well, that's like speaking of Keith, though, um, that's the 3v1 mode. The 3v1 mode is three, you know, three players versus Keith. Or in in the pin household, right? It's it's all the girls versus versus Chris. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it, it can go either way. Be, I think the three v one is going to be just as fun as the co op in some households. I totally agree. Especially, uh, I think it was on the pinball show they were talking about. You know, a lot of us that are pinheads play a lot more. And the families get discouraged to play with us because of the long ball time. So between co op and three versus one, it could really refresh the atmosphere of pinball in our own homes yeah no it's it's a great way of uh helping out especially a, a kid who uh gets uh interested in pinball you're like hey you can team up with mom or dad right right or all of us versus the game yeah versus dwight yeah right. heck yes bring it bring it on i'll take everybody on all i can say is i'm excited to get this game in my home i i've dreamt of ninja turtles machine that isn't the data east one for years now and this is honestly a dream come true i know zach many said it's it's done great for you guys already he said that within four hours all le's were sold out and that hasn't happened since jurassic park uh it's already got a good track record uh it seems like it's brewing the perfect storm for you guys so uh i that's yeah i'm, I'm loving it I'm glad you're loving it because uh, that that is amazing. I know Scott wants to talk about some. Of, let's let's dive into some of your your older stuff now that I have all my Ninja Turtle questions out of the way. <laughs> well, I I wanted to hear a little more about uh, how did you get involved in gaming? How did you get involved in uh, pinball? Uh, and exactly uh, the twists and turns in your career to come to Stern. Wow, so that's 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 a long podcast. Um, so I've been I've been at this for over thirty years. Um, in 1989, I started working at Williams, and um, that that's that's a story in itself. Like I like, you know, you, you should you should edit out all these ums and ins and outs. And I'm sorry, but 
So like exactly where do you want to begin? Because I could go back to like as a teenager, I used to ride a bike up to the bowling alley to play Playboy pinball machine. Or I used to ride a bike to, you know, to the airport to play Gorgar and, 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 um, and other games. Um, and then as a teen, and, and it, you know, then as a, a late teen, like after I got a car, um, we, my buddy and I, we would go to the arcade instead of doing anything else and, you know, and play whatever they had there. But, but the arcade would be packed full of video games and like, like Dragon's Lair and stuff. And instead of playing Dragon's Lair, I was into playing, you know, Grand Lizard and, you know, at high speed. And high speed is the game that then really pulled me in and made me realize that, you know, pinball has got more stuff going on than, than just keeping the ball alive. Um, there's a story there, there's objectives, there's goals. And I'm like, that's, that's really when I got hooked was when playing high speed. Um, and then at some point, then fast forward, I'm now in college and I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. And, um, I interview at Williams and they are fortunate, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to land a job and start working on pinball machines. And, and it, it's really, it was really surreal. I really had a comet by the tail and, um, you know, it, it, it was just took off from there. So what, what were you studying in, in college and where did you go to college? Like what was your proximity to Williams? Cause that, that was pre, you know, that was, uh, that was pre internet, pre uh, any easy way of contacting, uh, companies. Uh, that was the, the old phone book or mailing something away. Right. So I, I stumbled into it just, just haphazardly. Like I do most of my life. It's sad to say. Um, so I was in college. I went to DeVry University. I was I grew up in Michigan, um, and I went to Eastern Michigan University for a few months. And it wasn't really for me. I I was too immature for college right out of high school. So I stopped going to college for a while, and I took on like three or four jobs, delivering pizzas and stuff like that. And um, eventually, I'm like, you know what? I gotta get out of here. I gotta I gotta get out of this town. I gotta go do something. So. I start seeing these commercials for DeVry University and I'm like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take whatever money I have and I'm going to pour it into, you know, getting a college education. And, and I do that. And then near the end of my DeVry, you know, college, you know, career, um, I, you know, the counselors at the school start sending me on job fairs and, you know, like I get a suit and I get some resumes and I, and I start going to job fairs and I, I, I got a date mixed up with my counselor and I went to the wrong job fair. And I forget the lady I talked to, but like I was, so I was, I was at a job fair, but it was, it was not for entry level people. It was for people already established in, you know, in the, in the software world or the, you know, or the electronic world. Um, my degree was a bachelor of electrical engineering technology. It's not, it's not quite the same as a double E degree. And it's, you know, it's sort of somewhere in between. Um, so I'm trying to get a, I'm trying to get an interview for, for, someone somewhere here in Chicago and um, and I show up at the wrong job fair and, but I'm still in my suit and I've got a binder full of resumes and I'm like you know what I'm just gonna go practice interviewing and hell with it and um, everyone keeps saying no sorry we're not hiring entry-level people sorry we're not hiring entry-level people and finally I talked to one lady who said you know what you know who's who's looking for people all the time and she hooked me up with Ed Sahaki's phone number and Ed Sahaki um, worked for Williams and he was the, the head of the software department at Williams. And I called him and I said, hey, I, you know, so-and-so just gave me your number and I'd love to come and chat with you. And he said, no problem. Um, so we set it up, we set up a time and a date. And um, 
I put my suit back on and I go down there and I and I interview with Larry DeMar, Mark Panacho, and Bill Fitzgerald. And those are old names from the past that you you know you you may or may not know. Um, and that was that was and I brought with me all kinds of stuff that I've done, like programs I had wrote on my Commodore 64 and programs I wrote on my Macintosh and games I had designed and artwork that I had made and I laid it all out on the table and and um, and I and they they hired me. It was it was pretty awesome. So I, I see on your history, I mean going through uh, Williams uh, in Midway and when was the what was the first game you started on and when was the first time you were a lead program designer? So you're you're a lead almost right off the bat. Like, so you start training, right? Like, so they threw a Mauser around in my office and I started, so like Larry DeMar is down the hallway from me. And, and one of my first encounters with Larry DeMar is he's, he's writing Apple at the time because we're about to go from system 11 to system 12. And he's writing the operating system for system 12. And, and it's called Apple, right? And, and he's trying to figure out how does, you know, what the algorithm is for leap years. And it actually turns out not. You know, it actually turns out to be pretty interesting, and it's much more involved than, than most people think. And um, so he's because he, he's wanting to make sure that that the you know that at, when we cross over into the year two thousand, that all Apple machines still you know do the right thing. And um, um, so they put a mouse around in my room, and one of the first things I start doing is playing with that and start making different um, sixteen segment display effects. Right. So I start making cool wipes and stuff on the 16 segment displays. And then the next thing they have me training around on training on is I help um, Brian Eddy make pool sharks and pool sharks. So Brian, Brian started about six months before I did. And um, so then he and I start working on pool sharks and I start doing that a little bit. But then as soon as, as soon as they needed somebody to work on Riverboat Gambler, they paired me up with um, Ward Pemberton and Ward and I made Riverboat Gambler. And that's from that point forward, I've been a lead in programming just like, you know, less than a year after starting at Williams. And that's a really fun, fun game. I actually stumbled across one in my own town and it's very unique. It's very different. Um, I was one of the fortunate ones that actually had the diamond plate play field. And I guess there wasn't very many of those made for that, for that game. Yeah. It's when we first started figuring out diamond plate. So my question is, were you ecstatic to be on getaway considering that's one of the games that you played growing up in the and at the airport and whatnot yeah i i was um mark panacho and, and and steve are making getaway and or they were they were getting started on it and um and we were also we also were tinkering around with doing a dot matrix and and mark panacho was working on the, the all the hardware you know not the hardware but the software to go with you know the underlying dot matrix work that you know before you know because because that's that's right about where we are in 1991 or so, 1990. Um, so then, so then Gary and or not Gary, um, Mark Minaccio and Steve Ritchie sort of have a fight. So several things happen all at once. Um, Mark Minaccio and Steve are not, you know, are not on the best of terms. And then T2 falls in our lap as as you know as a company. We're we, we're able to do T2. And then Steve and, and a bunch of other people go out to, and meet with James Cameron and learn all about T2. And they decide to shelve Getaway and, and, and do T2 instead. And then Mark Panacho and Steve have a huge fight. And Mark's never going to work with Steve again. So they, they, they take the new guy, me, 
and I'm now working on T2 as my second game with Steve Ritchie. And, and that's, that's a whole story in itself. But, but, you know, that was a lot of fun. And we made T2, and, that, you know, then, then and I, I'm not even vaguely aware of Getaway at the time. Like, I didn't, like, I'm not sure what the other teams are doing, you know, down the hall or around the corner from me in my office. I was still kind of, you know, not really paying attention or not, you know, not read in. Um, I didn't really know that Getaway was sort of shelved and that whole story. But, but then when T2 was a huge success, Steve pulled, you know, pulled some of his getaway drawings down off the board, off, you know, off the shelf. And we, and then he and I did, did getaway. And I'm like, that was a dream come true because like high speed, you know, was, was the game that pulled me in and, and I'm now making getaway. Um, we would have meetings at Steve's house and Steve, like, so we would be over there for like two or three hours, you know, and it was supposed to be to figure out what to do on getaway. And because Steve had a high speed in his basement. And so we would go and we would look at his high speed and then, but we would spend 95% of the time looking at Steve's really cool stereo equipment and, and his giant screen TV and stuff like that. And, you know, and that was, you know, that was that, but um, I ended up buying that, that high speed from Steve. So that was like, that was pretty amazing too. It's like, I own Steve Ritchie's high speed, the game that got me into pinball, you know, somewhere about the time that we were making getaway. That is awesome. Did you end up having him sign it too? Um, I don't, I, I don't know if he did sign it. Um, Lyman Sheath now has that game. So, you know, but, but Lyman has said that he's willed it to me. So it'll come back to me if Lyman ever, you know, kicks the bucket. <laughs> so what was your most memorable experience of working in that, uh, the Bally Williams? Wow. Um, um, so there's one memorable experience. So that, I mean, there's lots. So we went out, so we made Getaway, and then we went to the, to the like, so we made Getaway, like, six months after we made T2. We made, so it was, it was Williams, like, back-to-back games. It was T2, and then Getaway, and we sold, like, 15,000 um, T2s, and then we went to the Vegas show, and almost sight unseen, you know, we sold 13,000 Getaways. It was incredible. Um, and then... While we were in Vegas, Larry Damar put me in a car and drove me over to the, one of the casinos. And one of the casino signs, the, the Silver Dollar, I think the name of the casino was, and the sign on the outside, like sitting, you know, like sitting in the parking lot, you could see their sign and how the sign's constantly changing between, you know, the new features that they have, and you should come into the casino and check it out. And one of the things that they were advertising was their new, you know, their new arcade featuring T2 pinball. Wow. Yeah, that was pretty that, cool. <laughs> that is way cool. Yeah. You're a star with your name in the lights. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's me on the Vegas Strip. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right uh, right next to Siegfried and Roy, right? Right, right, right up there. Right, just like like Siegfried and Roy, then Dwight Sullivan. No, 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 it's T2 Pinball. T2 Pinball, right there. yes. Right. How much has it changed from those early ballet years to now when coming to software and whatnot? Is it more... I mean, I assume it's a lot more labor intensive, but is there a lot more collaboration as well? Well, yeah. So, like, collaboration comes and goes. Like, Star Trek Next Generation had an amazing amount of collaboration. Like, like so, like, T2, Steve made these really cool toys and awesome kinetics. and But Steve and I had a, a great relationship sometimes. Like, at the end of every project, I pretty much swore to myself I'm never, ever working with Steve again. But we made, like, six games. So, so you know, we... You know that that I would always forget that I was you know an, an, an idiot and like I I don't know so 
but the collaboration with Steve was always, you know, like, like Steve would, Steve, the line was very clear. Like Steve made really cool kinetics and toys and stuff, but mostly I came up with the rules and whatnot, but on Star Trek, the next generation, um, he's a big fan of Star Trek, the next generation. And so it was a huge collaborative effort. And that was, that's a lot like, like turtles too. Turtles is, has been a huge collaborative effort where everybody just kind of poured tons of work into it and tons of thoughts and ideas and bouncing off each other. Um, I forgot your question. I was just asking if, if times had kind of changed going from. Oh, right, right, right. So times, so the collaborative part of it hasn't changed. Like sometimes, sometimes I kind of take the reins and I, and I pretty much handle most of the rules and oversee everything that's not nailed down. And sometimes it's hugely collaborative. Um, and, and, and for different varying, you know, results, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's not. Um, but the actual job itself has changed quite a bit. We do way more in the games. Like, so like T2, you know, is only has really one multi ball that only has one little set of rules, only one hurry up and doesn't have any modes and so forth. And today, you know, we have, you know, you're not a, you're not a game unless you have like eight modes and two multi balls and two hurry ups and all these other features and stuff. It's a modern pinball machine requires many more things than it used to. And we have pros and premiums and LEDs and, that all adds more complexity to the to everything and challenge. And the LCD screen adds quite a bit. It's you know it's very much the same game, the same thing that I used to do, but it's also very different. Now you also weathered the storm in the uh, the dark days, uh, basically in the two thousand three on till about two thousand ten. Tell me about that time. Yeah. So this is so at Williams. Well, so even before then, the, the storm first started. You know, in the late '90s, um, in the late '90s, we were, we were, you know, you know, like like cloud, dark clouds are over our heads, and people are getting laid off every three of our months, and 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 you know, and that, and then and then we had Pinball 2000, and we thought Pinball 2000 was going to save the day, and then of course it didn't, and they shut down, they shut the doors, um, and then I go to Stern, and I'm thinking, okay, we've got a fresh start, and and for a couple of years things were okay at Stern. But then things kind of, you know, slowly died down again and things were bad again. And clearly, you know, um, we're not great. And then Stern, Stern laid me off again. So I don't know if you guys know, but from 2008 to 2014, I went to go, I went back to Williams and made slot machines for, for a few years. I was wondering um, why there was that gap there in your history. Yeah, so that's why. <laughs> gotcha. We, you know, like, like not many pinball machines at all were made. Um, and then, so I, 2008, you know, I left CERN and, um, and then George brought me back in 2000, at the end of 2014. So tell me about having, um, I would say that pinball in the last 10 years has been more fun than at any other time. Uh, that would be my guess just because everything seems to be exponentially changing every year. And it seems like it's on a crescendo as opposed to a decrescendo. Uh, I could be projecting, but I want to get your take. Um, I like things that are complex. So, so back in the '90s, I was one of the people that that made games more and more complex. I made, you know, we tried to like teach her, like 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 Star Trek: Next Generation was far more complex than T2, right? And we and all of the other teams were doing something similar. They were we were all packing more and more stuff into the games, and we. What we did was we we took the crowd of people that were standing around the T2, like like they were two and three people deep trying to wait to play T2, 
And, and we took that crowd of people and we pulled them down this path. But along the way, we made the path narrower and narrower and people fell off. And we really didn't notice at first, but, but it, for, eventually it caught up with us and we made the games too complex for the time. Um, so, so now I'm back in a world where we are making amazingly complex games, but it's much better because, you know, a lot of a big percentage of our games go to their basements and people want complex, people want depth, people want all kinds of options and choosing things and, you know, stuff that never would have flown in the in the nineties. Um, so, so I'm, I'm loving that quite a bit. It, it probably has made a difference too, in that there's a better way of sharing information now. And so, you know, you have st streamers, you have the internet, you have any way of saying, hey, did you guys see this? And you can share it. Yeah. There, there really wasn't that in the 90s. I mean, there was basically trade magazines or your your buddy at the cafeteria. No, correct. Yeah, we that's a that's a huge, important fact that you're, that you're talking about. Like we today, you know, I have beta testers. I have people like that, that that I trust and and then uh, and so the game goes out there and and we continue working on it we get feedback instantly from you know from people all over the world on what they like and what they don't like and what they hate about your game and and you know and you you weigh all those options and you decide whether or not to improve it or or how to fix it or how to make it better and um, that's all much faster because the world's much shorter much smaller than it used to be and, you know, you have that feedback loop, which, you know, didn't even exist in the 90s. Well, we've taken plenty of your time, Dwight. I know that we like to keep these around an hour to an hour and a half. So um, we, we got to get wrapping it up. I got to go pick up my son from soccer practice. But is there anything else you want to share with us before we shut this down? No, I, I had a good time. And, you know, I would I would do this again if you want, anytime you want. Absolutely. Thanks a lot for coming on. We certainly... Uh, would be happy to help you out with any code testing since we are both getting them. And I'd be interested to see what Josh thinks of his pro and what I think of my premium. And uh, we also uh, want to send you out a loser kid hat. So uh, send us your information and we will definitely oh. get one out for you. Okay. You can send it, you can send it to me at work, you know? Awesome. We will definitely do that. So, and, and I, and I look forward to having a hat. Is, is this going to be like the beanie kind of hat? Like, like I see Keith wear or. Okay. Which one do you want? I have three in my possession. I have the black one. I have the beanie one with the puffy ball. And I also have the uh, the, the original, the uh, original gangster hat. I don't, I don't know what a gangster hat is. Yeah. Is it a ball, a ball cap? Yeah. You have a no, it's it, just a baseball hat. Yeah, it's a ball cap. Right, I'll, I'll take the baseball hat. <laughs> awesome. And, and, and I ask that you guys be brutally honest with your feedback. Like, definitely absolutely yeah. well we'll we'll be constructive that that's the yeah our, our attitude is we are trying to make sure things are positive and for change and it doesn't necessarily have to be that we like everything but there has to be a method to the critique if if you like it because of this then it's a way of uh changing direction uh i think i really hate the constant negativity i see with uh, many, with much of the hobby, and I would rather it be driven to a more positive angle, I guess. Yeah. So constructive criticism, brutally honest, great, genuine feedback. That's that's great. And um, and then at the same time, if I take in your suggestion and I say no, I'm not gonna do that. You have to not be pissed at me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not we a full time designer, so I'm fine. <laughs> okay. All right. And, and I think you guys are pretty cool. You're not losers at all. 
Um, so, well, thank you. Well, we we just made some uh, shirts to say uh, "Losing at Life, Winning at Pinball." All right, cool, cool. I like it. All right, thanks for thanks for letting me do this. Yeah, thanks so much.